During the week, Brian Ferguson works with swimming, curling and tennis. It's his job to advise on performance lifestyles which allow elite athletes in those sports to reach their true potential. Then he tries to go about doing the same at Linlithgow Rose. Brown has been boss at Prestonfield since October. He's been building for the new East of Scotland League season during lockdown and has already added to his squad. He's fitted us into his busy schedule and joined us on the show tonight. We'll take a look at his spell at the helm there, as well as his previous manager's job at Stenhouse New York. Brown has got strong views on what's wrong with the structure of the game in this country. We'll hear more on that too. We'll reflect on a playing career which took in East Stirlingshire, Alloa, Hamilton and Partick. Plus, we'll discuss his time working in the Rangers Academy and how his job with Sports Scotland helps him get the best from his players. It's all here on Down the Divisions. Well, Paul, there's light at the end of the tunnel at last. Football back sooner than we maybe thought at one stage. Yeah, uh, obviously a couple of weeks ago we spoke about it and uh, we thought certainly at our level, West of Scotland, football league level, we wouldn't be going back till possibly January. I'm hearing this week that uh, maybe we could start training first week of August and we could be going back in as soon as October. As I say, it's all still a bit sketchy at the moment and we haven't had confirmation of that yet. And teams seem to have been busy in the transfer market as well now. They can officially sign players. Yeah, we brought in seven players ourselves this week, so uh, it's quite encouraging. Some of the some of the transfers, uh, certainly down the divisions, have been crazy. Uh, Drumchapel have been, been busy bringing in uh, Darian McKinnon and players like that, which is, is excellent for our game. Uh, to get players of that quality but yeah it's been certainly been hectic this week good stuff well it's good to have you all listening we're here every wednesday with a new episode if you've got any comments we'd love to hear from you you can email us at down the divisions at gmail.com that's down the divisions at gmail.com or you can contact us through facebook twitter or instagram hi it's martin mckinnon port manager here and you're listening to down the divisions Lynn Lithgow Rose manager Brown Ferguson is our guest this week. Brown, good to have you along. Thank you for having me on it. Before we uh, before we chat some more, we've got the down the divisions decider where one of us gives four clues for a particular year. It's even Stephen at two apiece between Lauren Davis and tonight Davis has the chance to steal a march. As ever, we want you to name the year from these four clues and we'll get you involved, Brown. How are you? How are you with these kind of things, Brown? <laughs> We'll find out very shortly. Brown's um, <laughs> an intelligent right. man. Well, we're looking this this week. We're looking for the year when Irvin Meadow last won the Scottish Junior Cup. You'll get you'll get the net. You'll get it from the next one, Paul. The first series of Last of the Summer Wine was broadcast on BBC One. Oof. I've never watched that. I don't think. VAT was introduced to the UK, and Sunderland shocked English football by beating Leeds one 0 in the FA Cup final. Right. Brown, you can go first. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> well, we always like to get the guests to, to go first, especially when it's my turn to guess. It's I've a, got a rough idea of the decade. It's a well-used tactic, Brown, this. Always, Paul always likes the guests to go first. Well, my initial, my initial gut feeling is some, somewhere in the 80s, but I don't know if that's too... too How old are you, Brown? 39. 39, just on 39. I say you missed out in the last of the summer wine. Early 80s for me, I'll say. I'll stab a guess at that. So, I don't think 
Sunderland won the FA Cup in the 80s. They didn't. So I'm going to have to go into the 70s. 1975. 1975? No. I'm going to go 1970. 1976. 1976. Right, well, we'll find out the answer at the end of the show. I'm Cammy Bell, Queen's Park goalie, and this is Down the Divisions. Linethgo Rose manager Brown Ferguson is our guest tonight. Uh, I saw you've announced a couple of signings recently, Brown. How, how tough has it been for you in the, in the environment uh, to get players to commit? Um, it's, it's, it's been difficult. I think just primarily the players themselves are looking to try and find out, you know, what options are, are, are available to them. And obviously, the uncertainty with football has been a um, has been a key driver. In, you know, making things a challenge at this moment in time. But in terms of the players that we've, we've brought in, I'm absolutely delighted to get these guys in. A couple we got in quite early doors um, from our own sort of division, and then we targeted a couple uh, from East Kilbride. Yeah, East Coast had a moment where obviously they, they didn't have a manager at that time, um, and players that are rated and we managed to get a few over there. And then obviously we've recently got in, uh, a couple of players from the senior game who I'm really pleased pleased with getting on uh, on board. So we've got a few still to go, maybe two or three signings still to, to add to the group. Uh, but the players that we're talking to, as you can imagine, they're actually just trying to find out what's going on with their own clubs or um, their leagues when things are starting. But as things become clearer, then players seem to be a bit more willing to try and. Um, make a move and get get signed up somewhere. Tell us about Club Brown. Everybody knows Linlithgow Rose is a well known club in Scottish football. How have you found the club since since you've been in there? So so far, it's been fantastic in terms of the the committee that I'm working with being very very helpful and very supportive of what we're trying to do and the vision that they have for the club that they spoke to me about and certainly where I see the club hopefully going. Um, we're on the same page that way. So, so far it's been really enjoyable. It was difficult last season because I hardly felt as though I was in the place. Um, not just because of COVID, but even the run of fixtures that we had, um, hardly any were played at home. We seemed to be finding ourselves playing away from home. And then there was obviously the period when a lot of games were called off with the weather, etc. So it just feels as though I've not really been able to get into it properly. Um, but obviously this whole close season, um, trying to get everything lined up for the start of the season when that does happen, uh, that's what I'm certainly really looking forward to. But in terms of the club themselves, they've been they've been very supportive. Um, it is a big club, you know. Teams, play, people that know them, Lithgow know that from a you know the old traditional juniors, it's regarded as the biggest, if, uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in the east of Scotland and possibly in, in, in the Scottish junior sort of scene. Well supported, um, excellent facilities, playing. Uh, stadium, an excellent history in terms of being successful over the years as well. Four, four Scottish Junior Cups and very successful in East of Scotland as well. So it's got a rich history of doing well, of competing well, of winning things. And we want to try and bring that history to, to where we are just now and actually point the club in the right direction. And hopefully, like other clubs have this ambition, but hopefully get ourselves through the leagues and um, potentially get a chance of getting into the, 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 the lower divisions of Scottish football if... <laughs> if we're ever able to actually go and try and do that between pyramid systems etc if there's actually an avenue to go and do that it would be nice for us to try and get there but we also know that there's a lot of clubs with these similar ambitions so I think it's yeah I fully anticipate in the years to next few years the Lowland League as it is just now is going to be a, a one hell of a tough a tough division and we just hope that we're in there with a chance to go and compete at the top end of it 
keeping on the, the theme of the, the history of the club, uh, I believe that the, there's a family connection at the club. Is your your granddad not part of the the committee at one stage at, at Longlithgow? Yeah, so uh, it goes my grand well my granddad's brother. Uh, for people in the junior game, they know David Roy. Um, so my granddad's brother, he was uh, the president of the club for for many years. In fact, the the, the stands named after uh, David Roy. Now, my granddad, Alistair Roy, he was part of that committee as well. And obviously, as a young lad growing up myself, I used to go along to Linlithgow, watch the matches. He'd, he'd, be, he'd always be going around with his board with the raffle ticket numbers and stuff. Yeah. I'd get a kick about half-time or the end of the game. So I used to go along and you could, I always knew what the club was all about. But he was heavily involved in the committee as well. Um, and fortunately, my grandfather passed away a few years ago now, but the social club got named after him. So... It's the Alistair Roy, round, uh, Alistair Roy Lounge in terms of within the social club. So I've got uh, my grandfather was part of the committee. His brother, uh, David Roy, the stand's named after him. And um, my uncle, David, uh, who's my granddad's son, um, he was a huge supporter, not involved in the committee, but just a huge supporter of the club. And again, just a few years ago, unfortunately, he passed away through illness. Um, and there's a wee plaque just on the terrace and just underneath where the pie hut is. Maybe tells you a lot about where the... He used to stand for the five three his mates that used to go to football with. I mean, it's a small plaque, but there's a wee plaque um, on the on the terrace and with his name, which is obviously a great memory for him as well. So, yeah, some happy memories along there. And as I said, from my, the family side of things, it's been a, a a club that's been very closely followed and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears put into the success of the club over the years. So, yeah, I've got a, a bit to live up to. Put it that way. Well, I didn't realise there was so many. I'd read your granddad had been involved, so it must have been a real proud moment when you got offered the job. Yeah, I mean, I was actually in, I was golfing um, in uh, Spain with a couple of mates. Never had the chance to do it just because obviously football. So we'd, we went away for a, a weekend, and I got a phone call when I was out there um, just to to see if I'd be interested in in um, in the job. And it's the first time I've actually had. Obviously, I've not been managing for that long, but the first time a club have approached me rather than actually applying. So it was a slightly different uh, scenario, but you know, it took a little bit of time to think about it, and but not an awful lot of time because as soon as it, you know, they, they start to show that sort of approach, then it was um, something I was excited to go and do. I was obviously in at Rangers at the time, working within their academy, and that was—I know you said you're maybe going to ask about that later on, but that was just a fantastic experience. Um, but that, you know, going back to the senior game, something I wanted to do. Um, I would have loved, you know, in an ideal scenario, being still able to learn from the guys that were within the academy as much as I could do, but you just don't know when these opportunities come. But particularly if I was going to go senior, I wanted to try and go to a club that I felt I could move forward from their current position. And there's not many of those clubs about, you know. So when you you think of the history of Linlithgow, you think of the, the success, the ambition of the club, the family connection, um, everything that goes with it, then, you know, to be honest with you, it was a... It was a, a a good decision for me and a good opportunity for me. Um, and yeah, as I said, it's one I've thoroughly enjoyed, albeit it's been very, very stop start from, from coming into to now. How much have you taken from your time as manager of Stenhouse Muir? Uh, I would say that's kind of more the elite end of senior football, I suppose, being up in the SPFL that you've taken into your role at Longlith and at Longlith Go. And how do they compare in terms of size of clubs? Stenhouse Muir to Linlithgow? It all depends on how you actually, how you define in terms of size of the club. Um, I mean, Stenhouse Muir, again, love my time at the club. It's been a club that's been part of 
sort of senior football for you know probably since it's since it was uh, formed. Um, but it's a club that's only ever won one trophy, you know, and that was um, under Terry Christie. I think it was the Challenge Cup. You know, I don't know how many years ago it would be now, but maybe twenty odd years ago. So it's a club that's only won one trophy. It's got a great a great history and a, good, a great reputation. It was a great club to pay for um, and be part of. But, um, yeah, one trophy in, in how many hundred years? I think it's only actually ever had three promotions. The club had only ever had three promotions as well. So it's not a, a club that you would say was rich in, in success, but some fantastic people there. And, again, for me, some you know excellent memories within the game. Compare that to Linlithgow. And then Linlithgow, albeit it was a junior club, was one where... You know, if you went a season without winning trophies, it was a mini crisis. You know, it was a, it was a big club at that level, and used to being successful, used to winning. So it's almost impossible to compare both of them. Um, where I would look at it is things like fan base. Um, and you know, I've I've been to games with Lithgow where you know Scottish Junior Cup finals, games against Bonnes, um, etc. And they've taken thousands. You know, literally four, five, six thousand people. They filled Almond Vale. They filled. East End Park, you know, their allocations. I don't think, not not Stennis Muir, but I don't think there's many, if any, part-time clubs in the senior games of Scottish football that could do that. So, you know, it's almost impossible to compare both of them because of where they've been. What I would say with Linlithgow is that, for me, now that they're on this journey um, and they want to go to the senior, in the senior leagues, I feel as though they're as well-equipped as any team but we just need to try and get on that journey. First and foremost, we need to get out of this league, um, out of the East of Scotland League, which is going to be an incredibly difficult challenge, but one we want to, to try and to do. And then being with a shot of trying to actually gain promotion into the, the senior leagues via the Lowland League. Well, you've got a family member's name on the stand. You've got a family member's name on the lounge. You've got a family member's name on a plaque. Surely you must be going for a statue at the front or something, eh? Is that what you're, you know, is that what you're looking for? You know, if you can get them up the leagues. Uh, well, that was my mum's side of the family, so it was Roy. There's no Ferguson in there just now, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in all serious though, I mean, in, you mentioned it there. You know, does this does this opening of the the pyramid over the last few years give renewed vigour to a club like Linlithgow, who who are now no longer able to challenge for the trophies that you mentioned that they've they've won in their past? Yeah, well, it's now where, it's now certainly for the East. I'm not too sure, Paul, you may be able to, to, to um, shed more light on this, but my understanding is certainly the West side of things, that there's, there's still an ability to compete for the Junior Cup, which is, you, yes. know, for, you know, for the Junior, if you, we keep, I don't want to keep saying Junior teams, but I think everybody understands what we mean in terms of like traditionally the Junior Clubs. It's a, it's a huge deal. As I said, the Lithgow have won that four on four occasions, and it's uh, um, you know something that the club are very proud proud of, and rightly so. So we we no longer have that right to do that, whereas obviously the West clubs have. So we are now very focused on what our ambitions are. There are a few trophies to play for. We're obviously part of potentially well, we can access the Senior Scottish Cup as well, and the club have had good success with that in terms of getting through the rounds in recent seasons. So they are. Obviously, things to be playing for, but the number one priority for us now, Gareth, is just is to is to win the, the East of Scotland League. There's no other there's no other way to to, to get out of. Obviously, when I was at Stenish Muir, we, we got promoted via the playoffs. There is not that there's not that ability where we are. We need to win the league outright, and as I say, that's got to be what our ambition is just now, and that's what our focus is. Yes, there will be other clubs with the same ambition, but 
certainly that's what I'm trying to, to do uh, next season. Yeah, we uh, certainly when we left what was juniors to go into the, the seniors, uh, we had the, the option if we wanted to stay in and become a mixed, remain a member of the junior clubs, which I think a lot of the teams did, especially, the, and it was more for the, the, the Scottish Cup and uh, I know sort of yeah. Pollocks and Auckland Lakes have got great traditions in the Cup, certainly stayed in there. But I'm looking at your league, the actual East of Scotland League, and you're looking at your near rivals, Bowness and Broxburn and Hillerbeef and teams like there, like that. Are they capable, do you think, of going up into the Lowland League and competing with the, the likes of Kelty Hearts, who financially are obviously putting a lot of money into the club eh, to get to that next stage? There's a number of the teams that you just mentioned there that I never got the chance to actually see or play against uh, last season, and, and you know they're not. It's not Hillebeath is a good example of that. They were probably one of the teams that that felt um, as though they had a chance of winning the league. They weren't too far behind Bonnes once the league came at a conclusion, so they'll be one of their favourites for next season. I've never actually seen them play, so it's hard for me to comment on that too much. In terms of Broxburn, Pennycooks, obviously we know how well they've done in the Scottish Cup last year. I think Pennycook uh, put Stennis Muir out and I think um, Broxburn also put Camelin out, uh, Camelin, sorry, uh, Cowdenbeath out. And then you've got teams like Camelin, etc., who, you know, who want to go and push. I had a bit of time in the, the Lowland League uh, with East Kilbride when I was there. I helped with Stuart Malcolm uh, for about an eight-week period before going into the Rangers Academy just after leaving Stennis Muir. So I got to see a little bit of the Lowland League my my gut feeling on it from what I've seen is that the the, the, the top-end teams within the East of Scotland could go and compete in the Lowland League just now. Um, but we were, the, the general my general feeling is that the, the level of playing is not quite at the top end of, of the Lowland Division. So I think most teams could, we could go and sit in there and finish reasonably comfortably in a mid-table position. But in order to go and access those sort of top spots, it would be difficult. But Bonnie Rigg are sitting second, or were sitting second when it finished. Just got promoted last year with the first team to get promoted. Um, Kelly, as you've mentioned there, came from the junior side of it as well. So although I think the standard is slightly higher in terms of those two clubs just now, I don't think it's a huge difference. And I certainly, from our perspective, we're trying to build a, t- a team that's one, capable of trying to win this league, but also then capable of, of competing at the top end of the loan, the loan league. As I say, I think over the next 10 years, the, that Lowland League will become at what, pro- probably the most competitive division in Scottish football. I think it could be, you know, you've got teams for the West, your, your historical, your Talbots, etc. And then obviously you've got Darvels that are putting a lot of investment into their clubs as these teams start to progress through, um, which they will do from the West. And obviously at least it's going to be one, one tough, tough league in the coming years. Going back to your time at, at Stenhouse Muir, if you if you were in that division now and you're looking at these teams below you, once that kind of glass ceiling's removed from the the pyramid system, you just need to look at teams like Berwick Rangers, Gretnas, East Stirlingshire. That's down there. There must be a lot of worried teams up there that might actually be thinking we might never get back. So you only need to look at the the positions of some of these teams in the Lowland League, and they really are even struggling in there. Uh, uh yeah, and. I- you know, the, the general feeling is that the, the the difficulties to get into the league football, the, the pyramid system in terms of going through the playoffs and the disadvantage, it's clearly it's there. It's a disadvantage for the teams that win the Lowland League or the Highland League. The amount of games that they have to try and navigate through to then go and play against the bottom-placed second division team. 
there's a sense and there's a feeling that those sort of rules were put in place to protect teams from dropping out. But the problem they then find is if they do drop out, there's not there's very little room to get back through it. So in some regards, I can understand in terms of self um, protection of teams in the, in, the, in the SPFL why they would want to do it. But at the same time, when they do when they do drop out, and some one some a few teams will over the coming years, when they do drop out, it's they're making it even harder for themselves to get back into that into that league, you know. So, as I said, we've not seen any team fall out in return. Um, and there's there's a danger unless they open it up a little bit more, there's a danger that they will fall out and they'll have they'll have little chance of getting through because it is so hard to get out of the lowland league and into league two at this moment in time. I'll look at it and I'll use Albion Rovers and I don't mean any disrespect to Al- Albion Rovers or Brian Reed that's in there now, but you touched upon Linlithgow taking, you know, one thousand, two thousand fans and in big games. I don't think Albion Rovers and teams like that, that could do that. So surely we have to really be encouraging these ambitious clubs to get up there because it's only going to be good for the the whole product of Scottish football itself. Well, you know, as a one of my previous jobs was as uh, work with Triathlon Scotland. Um, I was in the governing body there. Um, I was a development manager working closely with the chief executive and stuff. And I'm not I'm not going to try and compare triathlon here to. To football, it's it's not it's too it's, it's different sports obviously, um, but I always put my role and um, one of my roles is to try and develop the game. It was the, the rules and the sanctions and the things that we were putting in there were only for the safety of the sport and to protect the sport and make things fair. Um, and that's what I feel as well the role of a government body should be is to make sure that the game is fair, the the rules are adhered to, it's safe, um, it's promoted, it's developed. And, you know, when you're looking at the constraints that we find ourselves in teams that are out with the SPFL, the constraints that are now in front of us, it's, it's not fair. Um, it, it's, it's not developing the game the way it could be and should be because there's an awful lot of ambitious teams that want to, to progress through the game and want to, you know, bring a different product to the game and actually try and enhance it. And it's stifled. Um and yeah, you, you know, I don't want this whole podcast to be my views and thoughts about how we're governed as a as a as a sporting nation, but it's just one that highlights to me the problem is that it's not fair and it's not actually promoting the game and it's not developing teams and opportunities for people to move forward. And um, yeah, it's I think that you know the whole situation between the Highland League, the Lowland League, any other sort of leagues that are now trying to access, there needs to be closer conversations about how we're actually doing this. I was actually going to mention this a bit later, but it seems uh, the right time to to bring it in. I mean, I, re- I read your tweet the other week where you, I think one of your lines was, we are one of the worst nations for progressing our own talented players and ambitious clubs and stifle so much progress. That's something you've seen up and down the country through your playing days, or has it got, has it got worse? It's not something. It's something I've seen, Gareth, but it's actually something I've I've researched. Um, it was actually I, I've always felt it as a player, as a as a young player. Obviously, going back a few years now, but as a young player coming <laughs> through, um, and just the sort of general viewpoint of Scottish football and Scottish players, I've just always felt it's been wrong. I've I've felt it's been it's been you know my gut feeling was it wasn't right, and then. Obviously, leaving Stennis Muir, going into the Rangers Academy, actually seeing the quality of some of the players that are in the Scottish game, and um, going to tournaments. I was over in Portugal and we were playing 
you know, against like say Benfica and um, other, you know, big nations and seeing the success of some of the, the, the younger players, but not just the success, the type of people that they were within the academy, their work ethic, their ambition, the the drive that they had to try and be successful football players, you know, seeing that firsthand. And that wasn't just Rangers, you know, we played against other academies and other teams that I'm pretty sure if you were in there on a regular basis, you'd be saying the same thing. So when I managed to see it firsthand as well, I still started doing a little bit of research in terms of, um, you know, the progression of Scottish players and, and how we progress things. And it was actually quite, how would I put it? It was disheartening when I saw the, the, the stats and the data. Now, I'm going back to when when there was a there was a shift and a change in terms of the amount of Scottish players that were actually occupying starting eleven slots in the top flight of Scottish football. There's a significant change in the numbers back to around about 1998, and funnily enough, 1998 was the last time something significant happened for our international teams. So there's been a downward trend of the number of Scottish players starting football in the SPFL uh, in, the SP, in the sort of the Premier League, and when I compare that to other nations of similar size, if you want to put it that way, um, it was absolutely, you know, it was actually gobsmacked. I was gobsmacked how how far away we were from other other nations. So Uruguay is an example. I've not got it. If I'd have thought I'd have pulled the data right up, but it was something like 90, 93 or ninety four percent of their top flight games were played by Uruguayans, people eligible to go and play. I think they had like two two top leagues of eight, so sixteen team league. So something like hundred and twenty odd players, hundred and thirty players were playing top flight football every every week in Uruguay. Now of that, I don't know how many would maybe then go into bigger and better leagues, but let's just say there's a percentage. What it is in Scotland, it was something like forty six percent of a twelve team league. So you then look at the numbers and you're talking about fifty, fifty five, sixty players, so less than half in Scottish football. we've got less than half our players in Scotland playing yeah. top football and then in Uruguay they've got you know two to three times the amount of players then moving on to bigger and better leagues there's more exposure there's more people people talk about Andy Robertson as a great example played with Queen's Park moved through the ranks we're not creating enough opportunities for these people to then go and move on funnily enough Uruguay do pretty well in um, in World Cup and in major major games and as I said the, the thing that probably disappoints me the most is when there's a, a poor international result or there's a poor phase within our game, you know, we have that moment where, you know, you get beat an embarrassing result. People then go and blame things like schools, facilities. The last one was the cost of the game. Um, parenting, the health of the nation. Now, I'm pretty sure in Germany they've got Xbox and I'm pretty sure they've got things like that. Most most modernised worlds do have all these things as well, but for some reason in Scotland it's a, it's a disaster for us and that's why we can't actually produce top flight football. It's absolute nonsense. The problem is that the top flight itself we do not allow enough young players or Scottish players with the opportunity. Again, another brilliant example for me was Lauren Shankland. You know, I don't want to name who I was. I was speaking to people about Lauren Shankland when he was at Air United in the SPFL. Not sure. I'm not sure about Lawrence. I don't know if he's got the pace or I don't know if he's got this. He's scoring barrel loads of goals in the championship, but will quite happily go to Poland and find somebody from their league, second or third tier, and bring him over to come and play in Scottish football, who's then forgotten about six months later. You know, I'm delighted that the likes of Lauren Shanks. I don't know him at all, but he's now in the setup and he's been thought about thought about as such a high profile striker now. But you know, it was that kind of attitude towards Scottish football players that Yeah. I just wish there was more opportunities for them to go and play. Not everyone would make it. Absolutely they wouldn't. I know that. But if we actually increase the amount and the, the volume of players getting the chance, 
then I'm pretty sure it would have a much, much um, greater significance on, on our game and actually in terms of what our end product is at the national level. I could talk about this all night to you because it's something that I'm quite passionate about and Gareth will tell you I love looking at uh, all these things but I was listening to uh, Brian Rice I think it was this week who come out and said he's alright saying we'll, we'll put a youngster in play a youngster but that youngster has to be good enough now Hamilton have got probably quite an exceptional youth team coming through f- from last year do you think that Teams just don't want to put the youth players in. Would rather go and would rather go and try and sign someone else. Or and where, where's where's it breaking down for you? For me, it's it's hard. I'm saying this as a manager as well. It's hard to go against the tried and tested because there's every Saturday is so important. I mean, you look at the the top flight or any division we've got in Scottish football. There's so little wriggle room to actually go and gamble or or take a take a small gamble on a player or, or blood a young player in or you know it's you, you go for the tried and tested and I think in Scotland our mentality is we're, we're far more likely to take a player no disrespect to somebody who's played 200 games for for Carlisle United but we're more likely to go and take that player rather than putting in our own player and yes that player might just be you know what it might not be quite ready for it but I certainly know my first senior game of football that it took me a good few games to get used to just the intensity of it and I was one of the, I was the fittest player at the club but I'd never been exposed to that intensity before and that was with East Stirling you know what I mean and then I moved to the championship and I remember my first games thinking the intensity has just jumped up another level again it takes time to get used to that but the quality is is I believe is still there out in our Scottish game so I think we're too too quick to go to the try and test and I can't blame managers for doing that because it's so cutthroat so for me again it comes back to in terms of the, the the governance of the game and the rulings in the game I would just love to see our clubs rewarded in some way shape or form if you can't enforce it but certainly rewarding them for trying to bring in more more Scottish players and if you look back historically at when there's been a batch of players coming through it generally happens when there's a crisis at a club you know, so talking Kevin Thompson, um, obviously came through at, at Hibs with the likes of, you know, Brown and Whitaker and all the rest of it around about that point. And I'm pretty sure if you go back to that point, the manager that came in, I can't remember exactly who it was at the time, but they came in, they were, they, they were, they were working under certain budget restraints. And a whole host of players had to get shifted on and these younger players got their chance. You look at Hearts, you know, when they went into, when they dropped down the divisions and that all happened and you think of Callum Patterson's and Walker's and, Nicholson's and players of that that then came through very very quickly and went on to to good careers Hearts got relegated yeah through that season but they came through and they've then flourished and went on to other things the one team just now that I feel as though you know fair play to them I think is Livingston Hamilton have obviously got a very good record but Livingston as well and you've got players you know Scott uh, Pittman from um, Bowness used to be with Bowness you've got the guys are bringing in for the likes of Air United Alan Lithgow we had a Miss Dennis Muir doing exceptionally well and I just think there's you know, there's such a reluctance to go for these players and the only way it's going to change is if there's, as I said, either rules, regulations or there's incentives given to clubs to actually bleed and bring in Scottish players rather than looking at the the player that's um, that comes from, from other countries. And my, what, sorry, what I would say on that is there has been some unbelievable foreign players. I'm not saying that foreign players should be banned from Scottish football, far from it. I mean, 
some of the best players that have been in Scottish football have been foreign and they've, they've been a joy to watch. But the numbers that are coming in compared to the number of Scots that are getting a chance is, is just wrong and it's not helping our game at all. Obviously, we've got the pandemic on or coming out to, or well, we don't actually know where we are on the scale, but could this be a bit of a level? Could this be an opportunity where clubs can't now go and buy players and they're going to have to blood their own youth players uh, in, in the first team over the next year or two? Do you think that could be a, an opportunity? I think it will do, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to speak to, um, too, too much about what other clubs are doing, but certainly speaking to, to Brian Rice, we had a couple of boys for Hamilton uh, on loan at us last year. Um, and, you know, that was when all this kind of happened. He was certainly suggesting and saying that, you know, the reduction in squads, these players would be coming back to be in and around the first team. And I think that's absolutely fantastic for them. And hopefully they go and get their chance. You know, Daryl Meikle, Sean Slavin, um, two, two, two really good lads that will hopefully get an opportunity. Now, would they have had an opportunity next year if everything had been the same? I don't know. And it's certainly not for me to, to, to comment on because I think they're very good players and hopefully they would have. But I think historically it would have been difficult for a player to be playing East of Scotland one season and then in a first-team squad in the, in the Premier League. Yeah the next I think that's just the reality so hopefully these lads do go on and get the chance will they go on to become Scottish internationalists the chances are probably probably slim but the more players that we give that chance to the better and as you said I think this this will hopefully create that um, need to play your own players that need to not go out and try and invest from from other countries but it shouldn't be crises that drive this which is generally what's happened when an individual club has been in a crisis or we've now got a national game and I'm saying crisis, I don't want to use that word, but you know what I mean, we're at a point where we have to really consider what we're doing. And I would just love to see this actually being something that we, we do as part of, you know, trying to develop the Scottish game. And as a fan of football, and I love the game, um, I would want to see it do well. As a fan, I would just love to see Scottish players getting a chance as well. As I said, I've already, I love the fact that players move through the divisions. Um, I love the fact to see young players getting that opportunity, and I think more of it should happen. You, you mentioned your triathlon role, Brown, and how that maybe shaped things and what you tried to, to do there. You're now working as a performance lifestyle advisor at Sports Scotland. As I said at the start of the show, you're working with swimmers, you're working with curlers, you're working with tennis players. Do you, well, two, two parts to that question is, is, is what you've seen there shaped the opinion you're giving us on the show? And secondly, do you see a totally different mentality from players, elite players in those sports? Uh, I'll address the second quick part in terms of mentality. Um, and all honestly, no. I know football players, there's been criti- criticism of football players. Um, there are, I've played with players in the past and we all know that there's players out there who their professionalism or their attitudes could be questionable. What we don't really find out or we don't really hear um, that much about is the players that have the other mentality and the other professional which is just absolutely spot on and are trying to do everything they can to be the, be the best they can be as players and what I would say is there's, there's a lot of players like that I do think that um, and when I look at the athletes that I'm working with the vast majority of them are, are, are like that as well you know they're just their decisions are about how can they improve in their own respective sport what decisions they need to make to try and be the best they can be you've obviously then the, the additional layer to all these things is the financial things which the sports I work with don't really have that same exposure, agents, 
you know, things that can make players look a little bit greedy and selfish and all the rest of it. You know, that's just another layer on football that a lot of other sports don't have. But in terms of the big difference between the other sports, in terms of the academy, the tennis academy, so that's, um, you know, the LTA have set up two academies in, in Britain, one's in Loughborough, one's in Stirling. We have eight British players between the ages of, I think, 13 and 16. And it's a longer term um, plan for them to try and obviously make uh, professional tennis. Um, the British um, curling programme, that is about Olympics, but it does come down the pathway as well. And we're looking at people not just for 2022, but for 2026. But again, it's four-year cycles. It's longer term. It's how can we get these uh, teams and people in the best shape possible. And then uh, the swimming programme that I work with out at Stirling, um, it's obviously probably highly regarded as the flagship programme in, in, in Scotland. There'll be Edinburgh, Aberdeen will, will obviously look to, to, to um, dispute that, but certainly... It's a, it's a programme with some top, top athletes, some Olympic medalists, not just Olympians, uh, world medalists. And again, you're talking four-year cycles, uh, one-year plans, you know, that are trying to peak for for this one sort of event, one game or maybe one time in a season. I think when the difference between football and these sports is exactly that. We've got football where, you know, if you don't, if as a manager, if you don't win, if you have a bad run of games for six, six weeks from the bounce, you're probably out of job. To players that if they don't play well one week they could be out of the team to you know it's such a cutthroat business um, and cutthroat sort of sport because you're having to go week to week uh, all the time so for me that's the, the single biggest difference but as I said I'm not going to be critical of football players at all I know a lot of them in terms of mentality has been spot on um, and I think it, it equals yeah, a number of other athletes that are out there as well So what's your kind of role within that organisation then to within Sports Scotland so my, my, my title is Performance Lifestyle. Um, in, a, in a sense, I suppose the key thing for me is to try and help athletes make decisions that are going to, um, one, help them make decisions that are going to help them perform within their sport, their sport. So to give you an example of it is trying to help somebody coming into sport as a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old. How do, they, how do they manage their schoolwork, their education, round about their sporting commitments? And Obviously, at that age, they're, they're doing a high volume of training. How do we help them make sure that they are uh, taking on the, the, the right support from the performance services, from the coaches, but also managing that with the other demands on their life? You've then got guys coming into to programmes who may be a little bit older who are coming into more senior programmes for the first time, helping them understand what to expect from that environment. So going from that sort of junior mentality into senior um, what the environment's going to feel like, how they can prepare themselves for that, but at the same time, how they can actually develop themselves away from their chosen sport, uh, so that once they do finish with their sport, you know they're in a position to move into other things. And um, obviously, just navigating through that, it's difficult. Sport is challenging at times. It's it's testing on your mentality. You, you sometimes question, you know, where you're going with it, and um, it's just supporting athletes to actually go through that process as best as we can, look after their welfare. And it's all, all the way through to the athlete who is actually planning to retire and we're supporting them to actually go through that process. And actually, once they've retired, um, hopefully they've got a career or an option there for them when they come out of it. So it's essentially, yeah, it's helping them navigate through sport, but also make sure that they're, they're not just focusing solely on that. They've got another another identity to them and that their welfare is looked after as well. So it's a yeah, really enjoyable um role within it it's not it's not hard on the front face like a coach would be or you know strength and conditioning or something like that um it's a softer support but a very valuable one for the athletes 
I know you kind of said there about you uh, kind of defended the football player, but when you've when you've got an athlete that's maybe coming through the ranks at 13, 14 years old and they've dedicated their life to getting up at five o'clock in the morning and swimming and training, surely the mentality of these people is so much different from what we see traditionally in, in our game of football. Well, again, I, I, I wasn't there for long. I was maybe in the, uh, the academy for, I don't know, nine months or so, but I've seen similar mentalities there. And so when I'm talking gym, when I'm talking about football players, I'm talking about the ones, the guys that I know that are full time, that are trying to become the best that they can be. I don't know all of these guys, uh, you know, straight away, but I know of people that talk about them and the, how they approach the game. But certainly the younger players at Rangers and the way the academy operated there, um, the vast majority of the guys had the same sort of dedication. You know, they would, they would when they were in at training, they were training before the sessions were started. They were prepared. They were ready. They were there to give their best efforts. They were living and breathing it, etc. And it's the same sort of mentality we'd see in other sports. And then when you do transition into your your first teams or your senior competition, whether that be swimming or football, you know, um, the guys that I see operating out of Stirling are so dedicated to what they're trying to do, their craft. But as I said, there's guys that are at the top end of uh, Scottish football that are performing. And sometimes not the top end, even just below that, who are just striving to be the best they can be, looking looking after themselves as well as they can do. Um, I think there's a lot of players that are like that. Yes, of course, there are players that maybe don't demonstrate the right behaviours all the time. Plus, I would also say, what I would say here as well is that, you know, we're talking about other sports here. There are moments and times when they're allowed to let loose, they're allowed to enjoy themselves, they're allowed to uh, relax a little bit, and that's in, that's encouraged um, at the right time and at the right point in one way, shape or form. It doesn't make them bad people, far from it. It just makes them balanced people. And I think when a high-profile footballer does something like that, they get they get slaughtered for it. And I think people then have an impression of that type of yeah. thing. So, you know, what I think what I'm saying is I'm not saying every single football player is bang on the button and is completely professional. No, that's not the case. But for those that are actually making um, headway in the game, and as I said, I've seen a lot of people who haven't had the opportunity to progress. I think their mentality and their attitude to play in the spot on, um, you know, I would certainly say that's 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 the case. Would you would you deal with somebody like a like a Duncan Scott then and, and and these kind of people you know guys who are at the top of their game in in, in swimming, won Commonwealth Games medals, world medals. Uh, yeah, no, Duncan's one of the guys that I've worked with now for you know since I really started. I've been working with Duncan for seven or eight years. Ross Murdoch, about the same time frame. Uh, Craig Benson, um, you know guys that have all been to Olympic Games etc. Top performers, um, you know and. You know, when you break it all down, they're, they're human beings, they're people, you know, and um, very focused on what they're trying to do. Um, outstanding athletes, outstanding, just outstanding people, if I'm being brutally honest, you know, the three of them and, and others, you know, you could go through them all. Um, and yeah, it's just a joy to go and work with these guys. They'll have their moments, of course they will. They'll, um, they'll have their challenges like every person does, but, you know, they've just got that application to their, to their trade and they want to get better. But as I said, I've worked with enough footballers. I mean, the guys I've worked with in the past, James MacArthur, good example. When he was a young player coming through at Hamilton, wow, you know, what an attitude he had to the game. And just as a as a humble person, he was spot on. He's went and had a fantastic career and he deserves everything he's got he gets he's got from it. So there's plenty of examples of those types of people as well. I think there was a good one with Gordon Strachan recently as well, around about uh, John McGinn. Was it potentially John McGinn? Was yeah, seen that. 
Um, you know, and more just in terms of him as a person, and I'm pretty sure from what I've heard about, I don't know John Wigan, but particularly in terms of his attitude to training and playing his application, it's spot on. So I think we're too critical of of footballers. There are far more footballers, so there's going to be far more stories to write about. There's going to be far more of the the, the player that maybe doesn't show those those uh, those professional behaviours, and we get tired. Everybody gets tired with the same brush. But I'd say the vast majority of the guys that I've seen who are trying to operate at the top level. You know the spot on. I think the first time I met you was when you just joined Hamilton, mm-hmm. and uh, I always remember. I think we actually did a an interview. I did an interview with you on on the course that you were on, on at the time, and it was looking at coaching. And I'm sure you did a a dissertation, possibly on Billy Reid, who was your manager who signed you at the time, if I yeah, remember rightly. Yeah, yeah, good memory. And uh, and. Um, from that point of view, the way you're speaking tonight, the research you've done into why Scottish football maybe isn't working with, with, with coaching, even back then, I know it was a dissertation, it was theoretical, but was that always something that you were interested in and, and you always wanted to, to move into in some form or another? Yeah, well, the coaching interest, to be honest with you, Gareth, it's, I, 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 want to, I just want to high, operate at the highest level I possibly can. Um, that's kind of been my thought process with anything that I've done and you know football I had a, a good career without getting to the level that I wanted to get to but that was my ambition and I think quite early I seen that you know I maybe wasn't going to get to the level that I'd dreamed about getting to so you know coaching was something that I always wanted to try and do and do that alongside so yeah at 21 I decided to then go to university study start my licenses etc so I've been involved in coaching for for um you know, a number of years now, nearly 20 odd years I've been involved in one way, shape or form. But obviously, as you, as you then step into management, that's a different thing altogether. And then you're seeing actual coaching practice from different sports and how they interact and how they do things. So it's something I've been studying for a long, long time. And as I said, I will continue to try and do so because, as I said, I just want to try and be the best I can be at my own, my own job. And where that takes me, we'll wait and see. What did you learn from studying Billy Reid? Um, oh, now you're now you're going back to the dissertation here. In terms of, I think what I'd say about Billy Reid, and this has nothing to do with this, the, this sort of study. This was just me working with him. He was a very um, he was a very bubbly character, um, a very good people person. Um, you know, got on well with him. Even even it was a type that even if you if you didn't play or you weren't selected for whatever reason, he would still be able to to keep you motivated. He was still willing enough to speak to you. Um, etc. And I think even just now looking back at the changing room and the dynamic of the changing room, you had likes of Mark McLaughlin, Alec Neal was in the changing room at that point, and Alec was about Alex the same age as me, but had a very, very um, powerful hold on the changing room, which maybe at that moment in time I never recognised why, but now I can see why as a manager, why you would have somebody like that with that sort of um, hold within the changing room. But he was given that ability to go and do that from the manager and the club as well. Um, his personality allowed him to go and do things like that so it's not just at the time Gareth that you, you learn about you kind of reflect back a little bit and you go okay what kind of things happened at that time and how did it operate um, but as I say the biggest thing for me was Billy was just he was a, a very a very easy guy to speak to a very um, likeable character and again he's somebody that's went on now operating within the, the Premiership you know and obviously not a manager but doing very very well down there as well and you know a guy I got an, an awful lot of time for You spent Three years, I think, at Stenhouse Muir. 
How, how do you reflect on that now? I mean, there was some firefighting. There were some tough decisions to be made. There wasn't much of a budget, was there? I mean, how tough was that? And 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 how did you feel when it all ended? I mean, was was it a relief? Did you feel it was wrong, unfair? I was. I mean, I was at Stansmuir for I think it was maybe seven years in terms of as a player and a and a yeah. coach. Um, and obviously, it was. Um, I love my time in general. The vast majority, it was great. Uh, really enjoyed that good club. Enjoyed playing with them. Um, worked under good managers as well. So it was Davy Irons that took me to the club. My first experience of working with him, and obviously, a, you know, a relationship has continued to, to strengthen. And a guy I've got the utmost respect for. And then he left. So Martin Corrigan came in, uh, Gareth, and you know what? He's probably one of the, the best managers I've worked with and never really got the right chance at it. Um, you know, just I think every player respected him. He actually got, I think he got Steny to fifth in League Two, which is probably the highest position. Still got the sack um, at that moment in time. Obviously, I don't know exactly the ins and outs of it all, but left the game. But, you know, he's somebody that when you look at people who never got the chance, who work ethic was, was spot on, attitude was spot on, players respected him. You know, he's the type of person that should have been getting more of a chance thereafter, but didn't. Uh, obviously, Scott came in after that, Scott Booth, and I was lucky enough to work with Scott. Um, he asked me to stay on and learn a lot through that that period of time. There was quite a lot of challenges for Scott, um, but as a person, he was he was great to work with. And as I said, I learned a lot about that experience. Then I, then I took over myself and, you know, I felt as though I knew it was going to be difficult, but, you know, I was looking forward to the challenge. I felt as though I was ready to give it a go, but... Until you're actually in it, you never fully appreciate how challenging the management role um, is. But you know, we we made success. We 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 managed to stay up that season when I first took over. We then improved upon it, improved upon the the, the position the following year. I think we finished seventh, sixth or seventh in League Two the following season, and then it was the following year where everything, the proverbial hit the fan. Um, and, you know, we got to the close season and we had nine players signed. I got told I couldn't sign another player or the club was going to go bust. Um, so, you know, that was an unbelievable learning experience. Again, when you think back to what you kind of went through, you know, operating with budgets that, you know, you'd be struggling to do anything without with in the league football. Um, and it was all to try and make sure the club, the most important thing was that the club existed, the club the club. You know, survived. That was it. Came. It was a point in, in Stennis Muir's history where it was, it was a very, very difficult time. But we navigated through that. We we actually got we, we did get relegated, which is you know fine. But we were relegated on thirty nine points outright, which was a a very high point tally to get relegated with. Um, and you know the proudest thing about it is with the players and the people just kept going. Now we, we went down, um, and you know it was a, a, the, the club were good enough to to keep me on board. But I think they did done that knowing that it was a. It was a, a good effort the season before, and I think they'd seen a lot of progress. The following year was the year we came straight back up, um, and it was a challenge. It was a challenging season because, you know, we we were we expected to be higher up the division, we expected to be competing higher at the top end, but the remit was again to try and get the club promoted. And you know, once we got into the playoffs and we secured that playoff spot, um. You know, we felt as though we could. We, 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 I felt as though we would do it. I just felt as though we had that right sort of mentality to do it, and we done. We done. So we got promoted um, back up to where we wanted to go, and then then it was a chance for the club to try and go and kick on. But unfortunately, I only got sort of ten games into that season um, before they decided to to, um, to 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 make the change. Um, 
the club seems to be in a much healthier position now. They've came through that through that sort of period where of you know the, the, the their existence was under threat, so to speak. Um, they've came through it. Um, obviously, we got back up. I think you know they did obviously get relegated again and they had a difficult season last year. But I think financially they're in a much more stable position. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm I was pleased that you know I think as I said, there's only three times the club has been promoted, and to be part of that as a player or a or a member of staff or a coach is is something that nobody can take away from you. So I was very pleased to be to be part of it. To get sacked when I did, um, it's still it's still it angered me at the time and it frustrated me at the time. But it's part of football. I think somebody said to me when I first came into management, every day you're involved is a day closer to the sack, and that's probably not true. I'm saying, um, but you know, reflecting back on it. it I managed, you know, I've learned an awful lot, um, and even the conversations with some of the directors following that have made me actually recognise, you know, where I could have improved things, um, in their eyes. I'm not saying necessarily in my eyes, but in the board's eyes. Um, and as I said, they then move on. They didn't make their decisions. It didn't work out for them. They got relegated that season. They had a difficult time, but that's in the past. I've moved on to other things. I had an unbelievable experience with Rangers, and I've now moved on to Linlithgow, and hopefully. I a more experienced and, and better position to try and help that club. I could obviously talk to you about the kind of management side of the game all night. Uh, where historically Stenhouse Muir is always quite, you know, they paid quite well, reasonably well for for a part time club. Where did that? What went wrong at the club? Uh, and how did you manage? You, you said that uh, you only had nine side players. How did you get over that? Where it went wrong. Um, that is probably I wouldn't be the best person to exactly say what it was it was a financial I'm trying to think of the way mismanagement makes it sound sinister it wasn't but I think there was a bit of a mismanagement um, within the boardroom level um, previous board members that were there I, don't, I just don't think I had the accounts fully kept their eyes on it properly um, so I don't think it was for overspending on players I think it was you know they had obviously the it would be wrong for me to speculate too much, but I think that's probably the best way of putting it. Is they just put themselves in a position where they had loans to pay or they had things to pay back or whatever, and they couldn't quite manage it without reducing. We had a guy, Gordon Thompson, that came in as a, as a chairman at that point, and he was fantastic. He was in during around that period. They got things set up within the, the club in terms of the processes that they were looking at to actually make sure their financial security was 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 looked at and that they were in a strong position to move forward. But it was just a, an 18-month spell where I was having to navigate the club through it. Um, but in terms of actually the signing of the players, that was probably the, the most difficult thing. You know, was actually, I think in hindsight, what where I maybe went wrong is I tried too much to try and protect the club and protect the, the budget and protect the, 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 the um, make sure the club was in existence. But the reality was my job was to probably push the board harder. Um, to make sure that they're releasing the money to get the right player that was going to take us forward. So it's probably the biggest lesson I learned from Stennis Muir, uh, my time at Stennis Muir is that that's my job as a manager to try and do that, to try and show and demonstrate, try and do, show and demonstrate the players that are going to make us better. And it's up to the club to then find the money. I think in hindsight, I was too protective of of the club um, and making sure that they were actually in existence and you know and paid the price because of it. And either way, you lose your job. Well, exactly that, and actually, one of the, in fairness to Robert Beakley, uh, one of the directors, he took the time to sit with me afterwards, and I, I, I fully respect him for doing that. We sat down maybe two weeks after the, the whole event. It, the, my sacking actually created a bit of a, things I've not really seen in football before, the, the players actually called a board meeting at one point and asked for the board to explain what the hell was going on, and it created a bit of a, 
turbulent point at that moment in time. I think it's just that nobody really expected it or really seen it. But in fairness to Robert, when he sat down, I mean, that was one of the things he said. You know, they were the, the board were looking for me to kind of come out with a identify the star striker that was going to cost whatever um, that could maybe take the club to the next level. And maybe I wasn't looking at that because I was trying to work within the budget that I'd been given. But they were maybe more keen for me to actually okay challenge me on this a little bit further, chat, find the right players. Um, and yeah, and I think that's possibly one of the things that I need to be, uh, you know, I've taken from that. As I said, it's my job is to try and recruit and find the best players possible. And if that means um, asking a question of the boards and asking a question of the people that hold the purse strings, and that's my job to try and do that. It's then up to them to decide whether or not they can they can finance that. So yeah, that was a that was an interesting uh, an interesting time. But that was, in fairness to Robert Bigley, it was very good to to sit down and speak to me about that. And, and was the Rangers offer? Did that come at just the right time for you? So I've been on East Coast Bride, um, and I just obviously taken a bit of time out for the game, and just I was out watching games of football and just soaking up, spending a bit more time with the family. And then Rangers came in and, and you know and asked me if I'd be interested in going in. Um, never been involved really in youth football as such. I wasn't really too sure what to expect. Um, but you know what I can say about uh, Rangers is in terms of my learning as a coach. I learned more than I have in the rest of my career um, as coaching. You know, so all the dissertations that you're talking about, Gareth, and all the all the other bits and pieces, um, actually going in and sitting there, I worked closely with Malky Thompson. Obviously, you've got Craig Mulholland there, Graham Murray, Kevin Thompson, Brian Gilmore's, you know, you were able to um, debate and talk about the game. Obviously, Rangers have a way of playing in a game model at a youth level, and you were able to debate how you play within that. And just as a sort of learning, um, six, nine months, ten months, it's it's the biggest learning I've had. And it's certainly as a coach, it took me, you know, I'd say it took me to another level in terms of my coaching practice. Um, but, you know, what what I did crave and what I wanted to get back to trying to do was trying to drive my own project as such. Um, so you're part of, the, you're part of the, the machine at Rangers, you're part of the huge machine and it's, a fantastic environment to be working in, um, but you know the lure of actually trying to drive something, you know myself to try and move something forward was something that excited me at Linlithgow. But as I said, in terms of learning um, environment, it was unbelievable. It really was. I'm David Gormley, manager at Rossville Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Kilburnie Lightside assistant boss Des Roach was with us last week. He and manager Martin Ferry have brought in Ryan Corkin from Stewarton United. Richard Murray has rejoined Cumnock for next season. Caledonian Braves have signed Jack Smith and Ross McNeil. Stenhouse Muir have brought in centre-back Craig Little from Queen's Park. And Yoka have added another new face in Kyle Maxwell. Adross and Winton Rovers have been busy. Stevie Wilson has brought in right-back David Donald from Ardia West Recreation and midfielder Reese Lapham from Bonnet and Thistle. And after 57 appearances in four seasons, Fraser Allen is staying at Blantyre for another season. Defender Martin Smith has joined permanently after a loan spell from Albion Rovers. Hi, Stephen Aitken, East Coast Bayern manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Brown? Who was your idol as a boy? John Robertson. Quite quick, quite simple. Um, a big heart supporter. Um, so Robbo, I was, was watching the games in the 80s and that's when he was 
banging in the goal. So, Jordan Robertson, quite simple. Who's the opponent, player or manager you're always dreaded facing? Uh, I, to be honest, I, I can't answer that question. I never, I never dreaded playing against <laughs> anybody. Um, there was difficult opponents, and certainly opponents that got the better of me, but I would never say I dreaded or I've ever dreaded facing uh, an opponent in my life. It's it's just a challenge, that's the way I would put it. Who was so, your toughest opponent? There's probably quite a lot. You know, just as a younger player kind of going through it, it was Darren Smith. Um, yeah. I was breaking through. He was at Berwick, went on to our growth and stuff like that. But Darren always kind of had face to face battles with him. He was a he was a tough player. Um, just in terms of he had a very good skill level as a younger player uh, when I was coming through, and that was probably that stage where we kind of came through at the same time. So it was like a three, four, five year period where we seemed to just play and play against each other. Um, so yeah, I can always remember those sort of early battles because it was one one opponent that I played regularly. So I'd say that the rest. Dan was a good a good opponent to go and play against. It was a um, difficult one, but it was a very early part of my career. What's the favourite football top you've worn and why? <sighs> Again, I've never been one that caught up in, in uh, the strips, but you know, representing I think representing my country uh, as a schoolboy. If I'm thinking about actually wearing a top and what that meant, um, I'd probably have to say the feeling at that moment in time, albeit it was at schoolboys, I've got 15 years of age. But just that sort of the pride of actually wearing that shirt um, at that age is probably the one that I could quite easily turn around and say, you know, that was that was um, the proudest moment that I had in my, in my career in terms of pulling on a strip. Um, but yeah, you know, hopefully I tried to, to to represent every club I played for in the in the right manner. But certainly, the Scotland strip was probably the proudest. In, in that uh, Scotland team that you played, were there any guys who who have gone on to bigger and better things? Yeah, well, my first my first year with the it was packed was with eighteen. So David McCracken, he was involved in my first year with it. Um, my year group was like Paul Jarvie. He was in goals for Dundee United for a period of time as well. Um, Neil McLean's had a fantastic career, but that's been more at Highland Le- Highland League level. He's in Wernberuri. He's still playing. I don't know how he manages it. Uh, to be honest with you, and there's quite a few other players that kind of had the lower leagues: Peter Heads, Forfers, Johnny Mitchells, Keith Robertson's, but. Um, you know, probably the season before that, Cracks would have been probably the one that probably had the the more illustrious career out of most of the guys. Who's the best player you've played or worked with? Great answer. It's, it's a great question, sorry. And it's one player that sprung to mind for me. Um, I was fortunate going through my career when I was at Easterland, likes of Gordon Russell, who was a captain at the time. He was the first sort of senior player that I worked with and he took me under my wing, so he just helped me an awful lot. But then when I moved from Easterland to Alloa, I was 21 and it was going from, obviously, I can't remember how it was termed back then, but sort of League Two in the Championship. And um, the player that I remember the most was Derek Ferguson. So moving into that, at that moment in time, uh, Derek was obviously at the end of his career, but, you know, a, a player who probably had one of the biggest impacts on me throughout my career just in terms of learning from someone um, just an unbelievable ability to make space for himself uh, even in small sided training games the quality was was exceptional as his attitude to training was was first class as well you know I think he did quite a lot of injuries in his career and he was very much at the, the, the tail end of his career by then but just looking after himself and trying to 
approach training in the right manner and making sure he was ready for training. He was doing everything he possibly could to do that. But just in terms of just quality, um, he's probably the player that I've learned most um, from. I then had the opportunity, like to, as I said, I was in a ham when Alec Neil was there, and then James MacArthur was coming through, and you could see at a young age, you know, he was going to be a, you know, his work ethic was excellent. I've played against, you know, the likes of Lee Griffiths and um, Snodgrass, etc., and you can all see these players were going to go on to, to good careers because of the quality that they had. But I'd probably say the most, the most uh, significant would have been Derek Ferguson as a manager. I still think Harry Payton could do something in the game. He's obviously up at Ross County now. He came on loan at Stennis Muir. Um, as a midfield player, he's got an ability to, 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 to go past a player from a central position and just let the game open up. And there's not I don't see too many midfield players that have that ability to, you know, comfortable enough to actually, you know, face an opponent up and take them on. And when he does it in the right areas and he done it, does it at the pitch, he can be devastating. Um, and he's done very well for us at Stennis Muir. And obviously, as I said, he went to Ross County. Um, I think he could still um, have a right go. And I would, I'd hope to see him in the next year or so making a real push. So there's my, there's my other name for somebody who could go on to have, you know, standout moments. Good answers. Um, and finally, what's the best practical joke you've seen played? Some of them I can't describe here, sir, on a podcast. <laughs> um, and just there's a, there was probably there was a there was a couple. I'll go. The one I was thinking about was with Martin Scott, Jimmy Scott. Um, I was obviously the manager at the time, and we were up at Peterhead. And I suppose it wasn't so much a practical joke, Gareth, but it was just a, a story. We were uh, heading up to the to the match, and he's a. If anybody knows Martin, he's a brilliant character. He's just a. Yeah, he's a laugh a minute, and he's. But when you get to to speak to him on a one-to-one basis, he's actually a really, he's a very intelligent, and very thoughtful, you know, player. Um, but you know, within the group, he's just, as I said, he's one of those characters that everybody loves. Um, so we're just heading up in the bus, and he was just taking the piss a little bit from the back of the bus in terms of just managerial shouts and what have you. We're coming down to the front of the bus, everyone's having a bit of a laugh and a giggle. And I, we stopped for pre-match and I pulled him um, aside and I had a word and I said, listen, you fancy doing the team talk then? You know, if you, you know, if you're, he's, he's, he's chipping up on the, on the bus. I was like, you want to take it then if you want. I said, you go for it. And he's like, yeah, definitely. I'll go for it. So I don't know if it was maybe a couple of years ago, but he then took the team talk and mocking team talk in the changing room. Um, and it was put on, was a couple of boys were videoing it and he had a five minute rant. It was like, you're old. Stereotypical, uh, your stereotypical manager rant, half-time, full-time, kicking bottles about, pointing the fingers in people's faces, hairdryer treatment, all the rest of it. He was possibly trying to um, mimic a manager, but you know, you, you, a lot of others have a look for that in themselves. But he was having a laugh; it was brilliant. The thing about it, that, that if anybody's been to Peterhead, you'll know that the changing rooms are right opposite one another. So the one thing. There's no way the Peterhead players would have known what was going on, and but they would have heard everything that was going on. It was one of these ones because it was a, you know, an hour before kickoff, um, you know, everybody's quite relaxed. They must have been thinking, what the hell is going on next door? <laughs> and it was a five-minute So that was that was one of them. But the next, the thing was it then got put up on social media, and I don't know if you remember seeing those quite a few comments and the people that know Jimmy were wetting themselves the typical sort of replies and the the. the, the the comments were all, love this guy, what a laugh, Jimmy Scott. But then there was obviously people who didn't know and they were like, I can't believe Scottish football still in the dark ages. This is a problem with Scottish football. This is why 
such a mess. <laughs> <laughs> they thought he was you know, taking the team talk. So, um, although it was a practical joke, it was just a brilliant story, and it was obviously one that happened quite recently. I'm Joe Rossi, player coach of Vale of Leithen. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Well, before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider for this week. We're looking for the year, just to remind you of the clues, when Irvin Meadow last won the Scottish Junior Cup. The first series of Last of the Summer Wine was broadcast on BBC One. VAT was introduced to the UK and Sunderland shocked English football by beating Leeds 1-0 in the FA Cup final. Brown, you went for the... I, I think I think I'm, could be way out. I said that around about the 80s, but I think it could be a lot earlier. The VAT thing, I've been thinking about that. The summer of last summer wine, I've no idea. Um, so, aye, let's just say I'll say 1980, but I think I'm a way out. I think it could be a lot earlier, 70s. And Paul was uh, Paul changed his mind to 1970. Was it what was the 19? 19- I went for 1976, but I even think that's too late. Well, I think I, I, I think I think I think, and I think again, like Brown, thinking VAT. So no, nah, 1976 I went, but I think I'm I'm a mile out. Well, the answer was 1973. Ooh. 1973, <laughs> and. I'm going to put my disclaimer in here. I think that's unfair. I think it's unfair going for a year before I was born. You sure? I've seen what you're up to. I know your style now. It's my turn next week. <laughs> Brown, oh, uh, you never believe this, but I wasn't even born in that decade. So there you go. There you go. I don't believe it, but... <laughs> <laughs> Brown, thanks for, thanks for joining us tonight. Really enjoyed really this. Really good. Thank you. And the views on your views on football really interesting. <clears throat> we always, uh, we obviously wish you all the best for Linlithgow and hope you keep the, the family name going proud at, uh, at Linlithgow. There, we'll hopefully get you back on the show when football resumes and we'll get an update on how things are going there. So, no, thanks, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been great to, to chat. So, thank you guys. All the very right. best to yourselves as well. Thank you. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll speak to you again next week on Down the Divisions.